So for this week's episode, I got to talk with Joe Lewin. Joe is a long-term real estate investor. He is also a fix and flipper and wholesaler right in Binghamton, New York. I have actually never met Joe in person. This was the first time ever speaking with him was this podcast, but I had followed him for a couple of years now and I've seen his content and sort of his progression starting from you know some of his per- first purchases all the way up to now where uh, he's sort of dialed back on the long-term holds as he's really pursuing the fix and flip and wholesale business. We get into why he does that and honestly why it's such a beneficial strategy to pursue at this point in the game. Joe has a ton of great information to give and honestly just the way that he's building his business is very admirable. I think that you know even if you're building a business outside the real estate industry, listening to his take on things, sort of how he's approaching it and what he's doing early in the process, really building that foundation ahead of time, which is the most important to make sure that whatever you build on top of that is strong and sturdy and make sure that nothing can crumble in the future. So without further ado, here's Joe. Yeah, no, it's good to finally meet you. Like I said, um, been following you for a bit now. I've seen that you've grown your multifamily portfolio. And you do some some single families in in there too, right? You sprinkle those in. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just more so like what the deal looks like. Um, Primary in my market, though, primarily I'm stumbling across uh, tired landlords, which you know, small multifamilies. Um, you know, would typically like two to four units is pretty. You know, okay. that's my bread. Yeah, so two, two to four. And um, so when you say tired landlords, how is that in your area, like in, in terms of volume? Like how many tired landlords are you seeing on your list and what's the turn rate for them if you go and pursue them? Yeah, so tired landlords, obviously when you get start niching down like that, and this is one of the issues I've been having um because it's limited right it might be pretty specific but it's limited so you know i'm already in a small market in binghamton new york and to niche it down like that obviously it, it really hurts your i guess your potential prospects um but the positive is you know we tend to actually get people in the pipeline and you know, some people we can structure things where, you know, one of the common things we can bring up now that I'm doing it, I'm starting to get more used to it, is seller financing. So maybe this landlord liked the idea of getting that rent payment, but he hated having, you know, terrible tenants in place. So that's one of the things we've been kind of pitching more, um, especially as interest rates are higher. Um it's obviously nicer to get a seller finance. Right, right. So I, I like the way you pose that too, sort of just like a, um, listen, you, you get to retain the rent payments that you're getting now. You get to retain the income, but it's it's just in a different fashion. And this, it's, I'm, I'm going to end up buying this place in theory. Now, that only works for free and clear. So do, do you guys do a lot of subject twos at all or do you not touch anything? No, so subject twos are extreme. New York's a landlord state. Um, is is New Hampshire a, a, not a landlord state? A uh, attorney state? Is New Hampshire yes. an attorney um, state? Yes and no. It it's it depends on what. Um, 
but yes, in in theory, we we encourage okay. it regardless. So attorneys are part of just about everything. Okay. Yeah, I mean, here you need an attorney involved. So I, I think legally they have to be the ones who work on the deed. So typically what happens is you might be able to get a seller to say, yeah, I'll do subject too. But then the attorney is like, hell no, and he'll kill it. Um, so I've had that happen numerous times where I pitch something creative and it gets killed. Um, but with the seller finance, um, a lot of times we have people who don't want to take the tax hit. Um, I wouldn't say a lot of times, you know, I have two, uh, currently that I'm the seller financing with the same owner. And that's the benefit too, is when you're doing these landlords is like, you can pick up two at a time, three at a time, something like that. Um, so it's, it's pretty nice. Right, right, right. So in terms of volume, like, you know, if if you don't mind me asking, how many doors do you have right now? Not a lot. So right now I only have five apartments. Um, I sold five off uh, a couple, I would say a week or two ago at this point. Um, and I had some partnerships go bad. So I ultimately ended up giving up some doors as like uh, a, a way to part. Um a way to part and still kind of keep the relationship somewhat amicable. Um, so I've done a lot of deals, but in terms of my rentals, I started with just rentals in the beginning, but kind of like you, I've been looking more towards flips, wholesales, uh, even novations is kind of on the horizon for me a little bit. Um, so I'm still kind of shifting my business. And what I realized is, from the rental side of things. And I tried to, I started uh, selling some things off. The reason being is because I recognized I can't build uh, really what I want by getting like 500 bucks a month in rental income, a thousand bucks a month. That's not moving the needle for me. I'd much rather, hey, take a flip. Maybe, you know, you're going to have to pay some taxes, whatever. But if I can take that 50K, now I can go and pay someone a salary to find me more deals. That's really what I should be doing. Um, so that's kind of where I've shifted my business. So like I just brought on someone for acquisitions. I have my VA in place and we've been kind of ramping up a little bit um, and trying to go to new markets as well. Because right now I've just like, I've sifted through just about everything. Um, so it's about, you know, finding more, more, Right. Markets, right. Just expanding you know, outwards. Yeah. And, and that, that's the thing too. I mean, you're, you seem like you're in a more rural area of New York in comparison to what, you know, we all know New York to be. So I'm sure that you have that benefit. Um, but yeah. no, that's interesting that you're, you're kind of building out that, that system, like that foundation for the business. So you have an acquisitions is acquisitions manager or just somebody who's doing cold calls. Yeah, so he's helping with cold calls. He uh, so I just actually hired him uh, last week, so this will be his first official week. Um, so he's mainly going to be doing cold calling, going on appointments, um, you know, doing the dispositions for the wholesaling as well. Because you know we're still small, right? So if I can have someone who takes off some of this burden, that's huge for me. 
because then I could focus on what's my highest and best use, which is really uh, looking at the chessboard, deciding where we should really be moving things. All right, our marketing dollars should go into maybe more texting for this town compared to this town um, or whatever it may be. So that's kind of where I've, I'm looking to shift a little bit. And um, yeah, he's, he's, I'm super excited about him because he's young, he's motivated. You know, he's 19 years old. He's going to be working uh, part-time for me for about 30 hours a week. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for, the, for that to uh, take off. And then I'll have my, my VA has been calling for me for a little bit. So basically she gets, you know, this person in who's kind of interested and then he should be able to take that someone interested person, call them warm lead, and then turn them into a hot lead or disqualify them. Right. So that's kind of where gotcha. this role is. That's interesting too, because it's it's funny. I'm actually in a course right now on building the foundation of like a flipping and wholesaling business. And that's really what it all boils down to is uh, putting that VA in place. Is it an is it an international VA or are you domestic for that? No, yeah, yeah. Uh, Philippines. So she's, you know, I wouldn't say she's the best English, best yeah. best English speaker. Um, see, me personally, it's <laughs> English. Like I, I don't think it's. I, I think when you go to like higher level, uh, it becomes an issue. But and this was something I, I really need needed to like. And the, for anyone who's listening, I think this is probably a common objection you have in your. And when you're thinking about hiring like a virtual assistant from Philippines, wherever, um, it's like, I don't really let her go too deep into the conversation. I just like stop it at like somewhat interested. And then from there, it's like, all right, our acquisitions team is going to give you a call back. Uh, is this the best number to reach you at? Yes, this is the best number. Okay, great. So they'll give you a call back. Okay. And then that's interesting. It. That's good yeah. to know too. Cause honestly, that was one of my, my worries is like, if I outsource my, my VA, what's that going to look like in terms of, you know, like the scam call nature, you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's, you know, that can get big. And especially with, I, I hate to say it like that, but you know, people, people have an expectation when they pick up the phone. And unfortunately there's so many scams that are international that it kind of gives that bad rep. So that's, that's refreshing to hear. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was something I had to work through. You know, it's like I, I recognize like I had a, a long conversation with a buddy of mine and he was using VAs for a, a little bit. And he's just like, Joe, like you, you don't need to sift through that. The hell knows. You don't need to sift through the people that are like, I'm never selling my house. It's like, let her handle those. And then you hop on and decide all right, do they even want to sell their house? Are they being reasonable? Are they not being reasonable? And, you know, maybe I can give her more responsibility as she gets better and understands the business more and uh, understands the market more. But as of right now, I'm not going to, you know, let her take those conversations right. A to Z. No, you know? that, that's really cool, man. And I, I like to, I like the way that you're setting it up. It sounds like very strategic. Like you said, the, the chessboard. like you're looking over from a bird's eye view saying, okay, I'm better suited as the visionary in this business than I am as an operator. And I can be the, the level 10 operator 
at my very best, but I need the time and resources to do so. So like doing the cold calling on your own, setting up the SMS campaigns and the direct mail, like, you know, just outsourcing those in all reality too. I mean, the, the VAs, the international VAs are, are dirt cheap, relatively speaking to if you, if you hired a cold caller in the States. So, yeah. you know, you can really outsource a lot yeah. of your business, what I'm learning for cheap. And, you know, it's cool to hear kind of like a, success story here kind of confirming all that. Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I would say anyone who's looking to hire a VA in the beginning, I think I struggled with this is like, you know, that was like my first like delegating, you know, I've had some interns in the past uh, who were students and just wanted to learn stuff, but they weren't showing up every single day, uh, Monday through Friday with, their hands out saying, give me work. And I felt like in the beginning, I didn't really know what to even assign her um, because she didn't know the business, right? And I need to make sure I know what I'm going to be delegating. So that was something, there was definitely a bit of an adjustment period where it's like, I need to make sure that she's actually has work to do. Um, So, you know, if you're like, one of the things I did for that, and I would say this is pretty important is like, there's going to be um, tasks that need to get done, whatever day of the week it is, you know, say something's coming up and you got to run a foil or um, maybe have her reach out to this person, a plumber or whatever, whatever it may be. But there's also going to be like evergreen tasks that like, hey, she has downtime. What can she do in her downtime to make sure she's actually still helping the business? So that's, kind of where cold calling came in. Uh, she does some video editing for me a little bit. Um, and you, a couple other things, just like, hey, if you have downtime, right. here's what you should be doing. So since then, it's been a lot better, you know? Okay. Yeah. So you kind of put together like a checklist of here, listen, this is your main task. Like th- these are your yeah. couple main tasks. And then when you're not right, when you run out of data on that list, because I assume you have to keep up providing her data and that's probably a, a, a net positive in, in your business, just because it also sort of forces you to keep up with the data, keep up providing new data for her. So you're always you're all assuming new data day in and day or well, probably on a weekly basis. Um, yeah. And and are you just going blanket data or are you going um, like a predictive list courthouse data? Like how are you handling that? Yeah. So I just pull off CrowdStream right now. Um, so I don't get like too extreme. Um, you know, I'm trying to get some of the higher level lists, but New York is a little restrictive with what kind of information they provide. You know, like I have, uh, so I'm part of Collective Genius and one of the guys in there, um, I think they're in Pennsylvania and they have land, like they have an attorney that sends them on a weekly basis list of death records. So people who just died in that specific market. So now it's as simple as them being like, okay, does this person own a house? Uh, okay, if they own a house, then we should be calling them like immediately. We should be blasting them. We should be showing up at their front door and meeting them, meeting the the family there or whatever, um, putting mailers. Um, 
So like that kind of stuff gets pretty extreme. But right now, uh, tired landlords are have worked really well for me. Um, and then I, I do high equity as well. High equity owned it for a certain amount of years um, and kind of just in my buy box. The two different kinds. The, the high equity gets me a lot more leads, whereas the landlords gets very specific. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. I mean, right. there's a couple other things, but for the, for the most part. And it's it's nice too to be able to do that. Like you go after a market that you you know is more probable to sell, and then you essentially structure your deal ahead of time by going for that, um, like the high equity, because you're going for that seller financing, like you were saying. So that's an interesting strategy. And and if if you're at all interested, I'm I'm doing a course right now. I told you that um, that it's it's a lead gen and foundational business uh, development course, and they give a lot of different. Uh, links for certain courthouse data sites and things like that, predictive data sites. So if you're interested, I'll, I'll after this ends, I'll, I can send those over. Um, yeah, I'm happy to take a look, man. Like, I don't think there's, I think a lot of that's overlooked um, yeah. in terms of like, you know, at the end of the day, if you can't find people who want to sell, like your business is nothing. So that's one thing. Now that I've been able to take my head out of cold calling, I can really you know, kind of talk to attorneys that maybe are getting pre-probate data or whatever kind of information that may be able to help me. Um, so that's one thing I've been trying to be a little bit more pre-act- proactive on, you know? You're right, right. That's awesome, man. So so level 10, right? Bird's eye view for a second. So you had mentioned that you were doing rentals to start out with um, and yeah. sort of had that, that, revelation that the 500 bucks a month is not going to cut it. Uh, and that sounds yeah. a lot like, I don't know if you follow him, it's Ryan, Ryan Pineda. Uh, I don't follow him. Obviously I know him, but he, he's a mainly flipping. Mainly flips. Does? Yeah. 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 And so one okay. of the things that he talks about and he, he talked about a lot in the past was uh, the strategy of going for rentals instead of flips kind of fits into what you were saying. He's like, he's like, it's almost impossible to build an extensive rental portfolio before you have any massive active income. And like, you don't necessarily need to flip or wholesale. Exactly. I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, a C level exec, you obviously have a good paycheck to be able to roll in. Um, but if you don't like kind of what you realized was, was that, that lack of like true active income. Um, so tell me a little yep. bit about that. Like, what was the what was the turning point for you? Was there like a, a time you remember where you just looked at the check that you were you were getting and said like this is not worth it, or what was that like? Yeah, so a couple things there. So I was doing mainly burrs for the most part. You know, I, I closed on some just traditional like conventional mortgages, but I was doing a lot of burrs, right? And when you're doing the burr strategy. It's like you're basically doing all the work it takes to flip this house. However, you're refinancing, you're not capturing all the equity, and you're going to be like, all right, in, in exchange for that 50K check, I'm going to get you know, 500 a month or whatever it is. Um, and then you deal with all the tenant problems. You have to lease this thing out. Uh, whereas if you just flip it, it's like... So I, I, I guess my like... I would say my coming to Jesus moment was like when I was thinking about where I really want to take this thing. 
which is much bigger than where it is now. In order to do that, I need to hire people who are going to help me increase revenue, right? Very simple. So it's hard to bring on, pay someone a salary, pay someone uh, a weekly check when you're only making, you know, a thousand bucks or even like, like three grand. Like I think I was making like around three grand, right? In rental income, which for me didn't really move the needle. I'm trying to make, you know, a hundred K a month or whatever it is. So that's really the, um, is to create a, a system that is like doing flips on a flips or wholesales on a consistent basis. Um, where I'm able to take my time and my energy out of the business because ultimately when you are making those big paychecks, uh, you can afford to pay people to handle things for you. Whereas when you're doing the burrs, it's a little difficult. And like not to shit on – can I curse on here? Oh, yeah, yeah, go can ahead. Can I curse? Oh, okay. yeah. All right. So so not, not to shit on uh, rentals too much, but the thing that I really recognize is like that's that's a – fool's game like you said when you're not making active income consistently like this is what i was doing full time so i was passing up you know 50k checks to go and uh you know pull my money out pull my money back and uh go and make a thousand bucks a month in rental income or 500 bucks which really does not get me to my goal um, I thought my goal originally when I started this three years ago was $10,000 $10, a month in rental income. That was like my big thing I was chasing. I got up to th- around 3000 and I was like, that's laughable. That's going to take forever. It's not scalable. Even if I got to that 10 k a month, it's like, where do you go from there? Um, right. So that's kind of... I like like what you're saying. I would like to really get the active income up to the point where I can pull my time out of it 100% and put, you know, a team together and then from there it's like, all right, maybe we can start buying rentals. Um, but until then I'm kind of mainly on wholesale and flipping. That's awesome. Yeah. And and you know, I kind of I I've heard that story from people before, but I the people I've heard it from before are like 40s, mid 40s, and they've yep. been slowly buying, right? And they're like, they start to realize they hate their career and they want to pursue real estate and they've been investing for 10, 10 some odd years. And they had the opportunity to make those $50,000 checks day in and day out, but they didn't. And so it was cool mm-hmm. that you started three years ago from scratch pretty much and then realized that within two, two and a half. So that was a quick turnaround for you, which is which is kind of a lifesaver for your business. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, my, mainly like I don't know if it was. I, I think so. I just joined Collective Genius not too long ago, and that was one of the things they mentioned is like they see that time and time again where people get into rentals too early because you know they saw in bigger pockets or somewhere that you could buy this house with zero money in. But the reality is, is like, is that really going to improve your lifestyle now? Yeah, it might improve it freaking 40 years from now. You know, I'm 25 years old. My goal is not to get rich by the time I'm 65. My goal is to get rich 
as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if that's the case, well, then I should be flipping and wholesaling now and then make it so that system, the, uh, the company of flipping and wholesaling has a team together, which when you're doing that kind of uh, deal where you're making 50K checks, you can afford to pay people to take care of as much as possible, which is really what I'm aiming towards. And then from there, it's like, where do we go from there? If we're create a million dollar a year vehicle, we should be throwing that into something that's even bigger than that. Um, so like the logical next step is going to be a fund. And then we're going to have to bring in like uh, a couple guys who are more intelligent about private equity than me. And then that's really where I'm going to take this thing. Um, because I mean, it's all real estate, but I think it's important to also adjust your business model. Cause I feel like when it comes to like wholesaling, right. That might be a great way to make your first million dollars. And mind you, I haven't made a million dollars, right? So I don't want, this is my, my, uh, all hypothetical, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is my thesis. So that might be a great way to make a million dollars. However, I don't think that's a way to make a billion, right? How, how many billionaire flip uh, wholesalers are there? How many billionaire flippers are there for that matter? Um, that's hard to take to that scale. So I think the logical next step would be some sort of fund, some sort of private equity model um, where we're raising a lot of capital. And you know, it's funny you say that because I believe the quote, there's a quote out there that says, Real estate has made the most millionaires in history. Yeah, private equity has made the most billionaires, and yeah, because has made all billionaires, all billionaires. Yeah, so it's like yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's funny because the only person that comes to mind, the only two people I guess that come to mind that are billionaires from real estate alone are Grant Cardone and Donald Trump. Those are the only two people who I know have built a portfolio that's worth a billion dollars. And one of those people started out with deep pockets. You know what I mean? And I mean, even that though, I mean, do you, do you believe that they made most of, like someone like Grant Cardone? I mean, he's got to make a lot of money from his sales courses and all that other stuff. Yeah. I and think, like, I think that his speaking. net worth, absolutely. I think his net worth was it was mostly based on syndication though. That's what he did a lot with syndication. And that's, that's a, that's obviously this, it's still real estate. It's still in the realm, but syndication is slightly different, but you know, I like your idea of a fund. Um, and you know, I wanted to touch on something you said too, because you know, the, the bigger pockets thing you would mention, like the idea that people can make quick passive income is, is the most mythical quote you could ever give now there is quick money in real estate there absolutely yeah. is I, so i'm not going to deny the fact because i've seen it i've seen people i know yeah. realtors who are who are 26 years old started two years ago making half a million a year you know what i mean like yeah. an, an active income but the thing that you mentioned about bigger pockets is that people starting out listen to them right that's like the go-to podcast and i think that yeah. that podcast is awesome i think that those guys are all great but the reason for my podcast is always it has, has been from the get-go. I do not 
want to give level 10 advice, right? Like it's, it's tough for me. My revelation moment was realizing that Grant Cardone is such a big whale in the space that, yeah, I can listen to him for the light at the end of the tunnel. So to say that kind of advice, like what could my lifestyle look like, but I'm not going to listen to him when I'm trying to figure out the barrier of entry, right? How to execute the correct uh, breakthrough through the barrier of entry. And it's guys like you who just said it perfectly, like the adjustments that you needed to make and, and comparing it to bigger pockets. Like I wasn't getting the right advice that I thought at the time was it's like this, there's someone who's listening to this right now, who's going to be interested in real estate and is 16, 17 years old is thinking in their head, this is, this is what I need to do. I need to buy three multifamilies or one multifamily in the first year two in my second, four in my third, and and build at a, you know, slow growth rate, which again works if you have the active income. And that's not what people talk about. So I, I appreciate your advice there. Yeah, I mean, uh, what really kind of, so I was actually doing that, right? Like that, what you just said, you know, you buy one your first year, which I did. Um, I bought two units my second year. And then I bought uh, like, five, I think the third year or whatever it was. Um, but ultimately towards the end, I, I had to start like partnering with more and more people. And I started to have, um, not like in a bad way, but we just didn't have our, our goals aligned and we really didn't get ahead of uh, certain problems that were coming up later down the road. And that was kind of a shift for me this past uh, year where, you know, I was putting a lot of time and effort into these deals and partnering up with people. And ultimately, I wasn't getting the return that I wanted. Um, and e- even though, you know, I was putting a lot of the effort in, it's just I still had to split those profits. So that's why I, I kind of shifted as well towards doing more of my own stuff and just keeping it 100%. Um, at least short term, not to say, uh, you know, obviously, if I'm doing a fund, I'm going to have to split the pie up because the pie is going to be big enough. But right now I feel like with what's in front of me, I don't need to split anything really. Um, at least short term, you know? So I, right. I, I started keeping more partners on debt. Um, and I think that's, you know, to anyone who's listening to this, right. And like what you said, why'd you start this podcast? So I started a podcast not too long ago um, called execute execute with Joe Lewin. And similar to you, right? I've just felt like there were so many people around me who would ask me, like, how do you get into it? Like, what's the first thing? And like, ultimately, I just wanted to speak to everyday people. Like, if I didn't call it execute, I was going to call it like average Joe or something like that. Because I wanted to talk to regular people that, you know, I can fully wrap my head around, not some you know, multimillionaire guy who's talking super high level. Um, that's great and all, but I wanted to be able to inspire people by just having regular people on who you didn't realize, oh, they actually own uh, a portfolio of rental properties or they actually own this business and like just they do cool things, you know? And right. I thought that was super interesting. So that's why I started my podcast because I think that really is important to anyone who's like, thinking about getting into the business. It's like, you got to listen and you need to surround yourself with these people who are getting shit done. And it becomes a whole lot easier. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I always give credit to it. So I started going to my, like my local investor meetups and one of, that was yeah. to me the best thing that I ever had done. I started going when I was, um, yeah, I started going when I was 18 and no, no, I, I must've been 19, but I started going to them and I, essentially I was like, I just want to put myself in these rooms with these people. I want to learn from some of these people. I want to make these connections. And I had an intention of buying, but not in the next year. It took me two or three months to three months from going to those meetings to having my first one under contract. And it was like, and it was surreal to me because it was one of those moments when you recognize that it, it, what I always said that those investor meetups do and putting yourself around those kinds of people who have already done it. The best thing that you gain from that is learning that everything that you are doing is all overthinking. Every single thing that's holding you back is just like analysis paralysis because it's such a simple game. And, and you learn that when you realize, like when you hear these people talk and you hear them say, like, say, ah, oh, just, just buy it. It's like, oh yeah, just buy it. Right. Just buy it. Right? It's, it's that easy. And then you hear enough people say that and you say, yeah, just buy it. Why not? Just buy it. And you know, not to say that there's not challenges in this business. Cause clearly yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'll be the first one to say, and I'm hurting for deals, but yeah. When one comes around, it's not as scary to buy it, right? And so that's the first barrier of entry is actually putting that check on the table and closing on a property. From there, it's like like I told you when we started out, like, you know, you start to realize, all right, great, I have a paycheck from one flip. The next one's not lined up. And there's certainly no yeah. unicorn coming my way. So, you know, that's where the challenge brews up. But, but again, that's another barrier of entry. And then, you know, you surround yourself with the next level of people like level two people call it where they just yeah. say yeah send out ten thousand letters oh yeah just send it out yeah whatever fifty five hundred bucks just send it out it's that easy right and you know i i think like what you're doing with your podcast execute is is very similar right just it's it's breaking it down to its most basic level because this thing doesn't happen overnight like like i said there is no passive income that happens overnight but you can certainly get rich quick. It's not a get rich quick scheme. I'm not saying it's not like Bitcoin where you wake up one morning <laughs> and you're legitimately a million dollars richer. It doesn't work like that, but it certainly can make you rich much quicker than any corporate job would. So I want to know a little bit about that, right? Because everyone has their own purposes for getting into real estate. I know a lot of people whose families were in real estate and that's what happened. I know other people mm -hmm. who whose parents never owned a house in their life and it was their goal to buy their first house in the family. What was yours? Uh, to be able to control my own future. Um, so one of the things, so my girlfriend and I, one of the things we do really often is we just like ask each other randomly like once a day or whatever, like, what are you grateful for today? And one of the things I find myself being most grateful for is being able to control my own financial future, right? Um, so for me, it's like real estate's great and all, but is it like the most glorious thing in the world? No, it's it's like um, you know I actually do like like architecture and all that, but um, and I, I do get excited when I you know I'm looking at molding and shit like that. But right. for me. 
I really just saw it as like an opportunity to build something. And I was always interested in owning my own business since I was a little kid. Um, I, like I didn't really want to go to college. I felt like I just wanted to start a business. Ultimately, I ended up going to college and studying business and economics. And, you know, I'm grateful that I actually did go. But uh, for me, real estate is just an opportunity to ultimately get wealth. And then when you get wealth, it's like, what do you do with it? Right. Um, And at that point, when you have wealth, you can really make things change. Right. You can really move things around. Um, Any fundamental wrongs that you think shouldn't exist in the world, you can at least say, I have my basis covered. Now I can devote the rest of my life to X cause or whatever it is. Um, And that's really because, you know, at the end of the day, man, once you get your like your, I guess your life, your, your lifestyle covered, it's like, how much money do you really need? And for me, it's like, I really would like to build a lot of wealth because then at that point I can help my friends, my family. And when, like they say on the planes, right? Put your own mask on first and then you can help other people. Um, For me, then I can really start making some moves and attacking things that I think should be changed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say that too, because I had a podcast yesterday and Two of what you, two of the things you just mentioned, or what we talked about, right? Putting putting the mask on first before you help other people, and like honestly, I forget what the context was of that conversation. But what I do remember is that it was it was all in the name of like you know basis self accountability. But the other part of it is just sort of what you said, right? It's like. It's like, how can I help the people around me if you're, if that's what your mission is? And this, the idea of, you know, like I'm trying to figure out how to word this because I'm big on mission, right? I think that the, the mission of your company is what's going to sustain you as a business. And I, we were talking about, um, I was talking about Japan. They have the highest number of oldest companies per capita. I think they have 2000 companies that are over 500 years old. Um, is they build extremely sustainable businesses. And what you realize are a few things from them. Number one, they don't focus on the paycheck. That's, that's baseline. Number one, there's a certain amount of money. Like you said, enough is enough. And that's actually a question I got from somebody. Um, and it was like, when is enough, when it is enough, enough. And a lot of people like to put a number on that. But in reality, it's like, you know, you hit a certain number that funds your lifestyle from there. What keeps you going? Because, you know, there's very few people who legitimately want to work like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Everyone wants to be worth what they're worth, but most people aren't willing to do what they do to get to that point. And so there is a certain number that you hit where enough is enough. Now it's what keeps driving you right because you still have mouths to feed in that business you still have people to take care of so if it's not the number that's going to keep sustain you in your company what is and it's the mission and so like i said i compare that a lot to to japan because they're the way that they build their businesses is on a 
they do a decade and hundred year horizons. They do decade and century horizons. <laughs> yes. They don't do quarterlies. They don't do one, five, tens or one, five, sevens. They do tens and hundreds. And the oldest company there's like, I want to say they said it was like 1500 years old. I mean, you're getting into ancient businesses and it's like, how do these things run effectively? And it, it, it is all mission based. So that begs a question for you. What's sort of like your mission behind your company and behind what you do? Yeah. I mean, so for me, it's like not so much about the real estate side of things. Like real estate for me is like a, a vehicle to have money coming in and then ultimately pull my time out of it. Um, but some of the things I would like to tackle, like, and I think this, this will be in real estate and this Sorry. Um, this will be in real estate is, you know, uh, like affordable housing, right? That's, that's a big issue in America right now. And it's like, how do you really solve that problem? Well, you need to make cost of building cheaper. And how are you going to solve that? Well, some sort of proprietary technology that, you know, like, um, are you familiar with the Levitt brothers? Yes. Not too familiar, okay. but that I, I'm familiar with the name. Yeah. So basically they built, uh, you know, this town on the, I'm sure they did a lot more than that, but they like restructured, they basically took the, uh, conveyor belt method from Henry Ford and did it with a house. Right. So if say you have, they're building a whole community, you have plumbing, uh, at house, house one, you have electricians at house two and roofers. And basically they would put more labor into whatever trade takes, you know, longer. So basically say, you know, eight hours, they would take plumbing, roofing, electric, and everyone would have to take the amount, same amount of time. And like that, that was revolutionary because then they would, save on labor costs, save on construction costs, and basically these houses would get built faster. Now, things like that, I feel like need to happen in the industry to the point where it's like, hey, we've been building the same, you know, I buy houses that are um, 100 plus years old, right? They look the same as houses that are built now. Why is that? Um, they're using all, a lot of the same materials, right? Um, some things are different, obviously. But this is something that needs to be addressed. So like one of the things like in the future, this is like back of mind right now because again, I need to put the mask on first. I need to address the things in front of me. But at some point I would, you know, uh, 3D printing is becoming a little bit more common. Uh, you know, there's a couple companies doing it. Um, that gets me like kind of excited. Um I would like to really just get to the point where I have enough money to solve some of the bigger problems that are out there. And, you know, providing affordable housing doesn't necessarily need to be a for-profit business. It could be. Um, it could be some sort of eco-friendly for-profit business and affordable as well. But, you know, I'd also like to, you know, solve big things like why does our education system suck? You know, things like that. Um, so for me, it's like real estate's nice and all, but like, do I see myself devoting my life to it? Um, yes and no. 
you know, I, I don't see myself, you know, walking properties at, at 60 years old, uh, meeting with contractors, you know, that's just not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. But I'd like to get it to the point where I can solve some of these bigger problems that exist out there. Cause ultimately it's like, what else do we exist for if we can't make it better for the next generation? Yeah. I love that. I love that a lot. And, and, you know, you make a good point, right? Like, and, and I actually meant to mention earlier when you were saying kind of building that foundation, like once you are the level 10, once you are the bird's eye view, the, the visionary of the business, you can extend those arms out into other projects, right? Like we were talking about these, the wealthiest people don't make their money in real estate. They make their beginning money in real estate and then they extend, right? They put arms out into other things. And so that's, it sounds like what you're doing. And I love that you want to tackle the affordable housing problem only because I have a building background. That's I work full time in, in new construction as well. And so very nice. familiar with that. And, you know, we don't necessarily build affordable housing. We build million dollar plus homes, but we have yeah. built affordable housing units. And, you know, I completely agree with, um, actually, we're, so we're pretty good, right? We build anywhere from 20 to 50 homes a year. And so we can streamline our subdivisions. Like we'll have a 10 lot. We, we've had a 60 lot before we have two of two or three 20 lots and then a 60 lot and a 50 lot coming. Like yeah. we have large projects and that's what we do is we streamline, right? You run out of capital yeah. at a certain point, you need to do phases. Um, that's one issue is capital. Um, so like in terms of tackling that problem, it would be, um, it would be finding, you know, lenders that would be okay with funding the entire project before they see like, like a blanket loan, you know what I mean? Um, or an umbrella yeah, loan. Yeah, that's where, that's where institutional uh, money starts coming in, not, you know, right. your normal lender, you need to start raising big capital. Yes. Yep. Ultimately, that's going to be in a structure of like a fund. Yeah. And people who see that vision too, that's important because it's a, yeah. it's a revolutionary idea to, to build and not sell, right? Build all at once because you do absolutely save if contractors can plant themselves there for two years. If you can have a, one contractor plant himself on a job site for two years, guaranteed two years worth of income, that, that's a no-brainer for them. So that's, that's number yeah. one. I, I love that. Revolutionary ideas in terms of building costs and structures. I don't know if you're familiar with Boxable. Um, if you follow that. No, I, I, uh, this is something that like, I love when I see it, but am I like actively? Cause it's just like, so out there to me, yeah. like I need to figure that out. But Boxable, what is it? Talk to me. So Boxable is a 20 by 20 foldable house. Um, and I'll send you the link to their Instagram. They've blown up. I actually yeah. invested in their crowdfunding a, a few years back. Um, it's, it's an awesome product. And what it does is it's, it's, they, they make different boxes, right? And their main one is a casita and it's a studio apartment, 400 square feet. Um, everything's full size though, like full size fridge, full size range. Uh, you get the bed, you get the couch. What it does is it folds up into an eight foot wide, you know, by 20 by 12 foot tall. You can throw it on a trailer and tow it with a GMC. Like, and then, <laughs> And then you pour it on a slab and they make it so you can hook up solar, you can hook up well, you can hook up septic, right? You can even hook up black water tanks to it. Like it, it can be completely off the grid. You pour a slab and they just come out and unfold it. It's weather resistant, fire wow. resistant, bulletproof. It's everything. $50,000 for one. That's it. So, wow. so it's one of those products where, and they're building out 
right? So they're building different boxes, like a kitchen and living room box that can be stacked with a bedroom and then stairs up to another bedroom and then a balcony, right? Yeah. And so you buy all these boxes that like, you know, a living room might only be 20 grand, kitchen might be 30, bedroom and bathroom might be 40, right? And you put them all together and you have a 1500 square foot house for 150 grand plus site, site yeah. costs. So yeah, to, that, to me, that that's, kind of stuff is incredible. It's unreal, right? And so I just, it's just, you know, you made me think of that and I'll definitely send that to you because I, I just, I think it's very important regardless of where you're at in your journey, like adding that element of mission in every day so you know what you're working for because you know, and, and I guess you can attest to this and I'll ask you in a second, but at least for me, it's like the game of entrepreneurship is certainly a challenging game every day and some days are much better than others and some days you question why the fuck you do this right and so being able to kind of sit back and say regardless of what's happening today regardless of my highs today or my lows tomorrow i know for damn sure that this is not for me this is a selfless act in one way or another i need that arm to extend out to help the people i want to and at least for me with the podcast and with with just just flipping um, and trying to find deals and things like that. Like I said, it's challenging and it's expensive and it's definitely a like a mental toughness uh, challenge. But being able to kind of sit back on that mission has been awesome for me to know like regardless of what direction I think I'm going in, if I can make sure that I leave this world being a net positive to the rest of it, right? Like leaving a net positive legacy – that I th- at least for me is the be all end all, and so I'd like to hear it from you in terms of like the entrepreneurship and your entrepreneurial journey. How has that been, and how do you view it in terms of challenges and the highs and lows? Yeah, I mean that's what it is, man. It's great highs and then even lower, like super duper lows, you know. But that's what I sign up for, and that's ultimately for me better than working in an office doing the same thing saying oh thank god it's friday and i'd rather you know I, i'd rather blow my brain so yep, agreed uh that's kind of where i'm at and like you know i promised myself that this is the only option and there's really you know in the beginning i kind of like well, you know, I, I still have my degree I can fall on. It's like now at this point, it's like, hey, man, trust yourself. You got this. You've done this and this in the past. Like, you got this. Just ride it out. So in terms of like those lows, I've gotten really good at managing them. Um, the highs, when they come in, it's like, obviously, it's great. But those don't always come in, right? <laughs> so you got to just kind of try and keep it even keel. And like, you know, I have things I do, habits I do to kind of keep it consistent, even though the business may be a disaster that day, I still need to like, you know, work out or I still need to like try and go for a run or a walk, whatever it may be to try and just at the end of the day, man, I'm healthy. I I'm happy. And I'm in control of my own future. No one else has control of my my financial future but me. And that, for me, is the most powerful thing. Yeah. No, for sure. I like that. And you mentioned, too, you work out, you go to the gym. Has that been a big, um, 
like propellant for you in your business, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I not. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's important to keep that habit, right? Like when yeah. you do hard, when you do hard shit, it tends to be everything else tends to be easier. So, you know, I think that's important. So every morning uh, we wake up at 4 a.m. and we go right to the gym, you know. So once I get that done and I get my hard workout in, then, you know, I'll go and I'll read. And then, you know, well, we're doing 75 hard right now. So we have to do a second exercise in the morning. But it's great because by 9 a.m. I have two workouts in and I, I read and everything and you know, it kind of sucks to have that long of a morning routine. But I think that consistency is really important because, you know, like working out, you know, you can hit the gym and, you know, David Green from Bigger Pockets, right? He's great at those freaking analogies. So it's like, I'm definitely stealing this from him. But it's like, in the beginning, when you started working out, maybe you didn't see any results. But as you stuck with it, you started seeing more and more results over time. Um, and I think that's basically how business is. It's freaking parallels. Um, so I, of course, you know, I keep that mindset in, in my head when I am building a business, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny too. Like, like business, I'm an, I'm an analytical guy. So I, I think of these weird analogies, but I, I look at business as a, an amortization schedule. It's like you're paying so much interest, aka your dues up front, right? And you're seeing very little return. And then it switches. Like you get to a certain point where it completely switches. And now you're no longer on the the interest paying side, right? The paying your dues side. You're on the horizon, right? Like now you're now you're reaping the benefits of that loan. You're reaping the benefits of that business. And that's always been cool to me to just sort of like that's been light at the end of the tunnel for me as well. Like looking at it from the point of view saying like, all right, my time horizon is large. It's wide. It's not, you know, I was talking to the kid yesterday that we, we, um, this kid, Steve, and he's a, he's a realtor. And we were talking about this exactly and how, you know, I, I work a lot of hours a day. I work, you know, anywhere from 16 to 18 hours a day, but you know, he had mentioned like, that's not, that's not necessarily sustainable for, for years and years to come. And I'm like, absolutely not. But when your time horizon is like 20 years, right? Like a, a 20 year horizon versus a five year or a 10 year versus a three year, it's easier to justify paying your dues in the first five, if the next five are going to be great. Right. And so I'm big on, on widening that horizon, because like I said, what it really comes down to is there, there is no quick money. Like even if you do make quick money wholesaling and flipping, there's there's still like like Patrick Bet David says it best. Like you're not an established business until you've you've been profitable year over year with little to no challenges or little to no scares for thirty years. Other than that, you're not an established business. So you can make a million dollars a year for the next twenty and then come crumbling down. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I love Patrick and David. Actually, he's uh, he's awesome. I, I listen to a lot of his stuff, and I, I think that's one hundred percent correct. Because yeah, at any point you could be a twenty year old business and still come tumbling down, and I don't think it's really that hard. And every single day is like, or every single week is like, how do we get one step further to that you know goal? That one step further, right to this 
this goal that we're just always pushing towards. Um, and yeah, not being content, right? And not stopping. <laughs> well, that's and that's the that's the tough part, right? Is is like like when when that question comes, when is enough enough? It's like, well, enough is enough, and you become content and complacent when you hit that number. And so I've always I've been big on what I like to call them immeasurable goals, where I set my my um, overarching goals like I said, it's missions, right? Something that I can work day in and day out and constantly accomplish, but never actually achieve and finish, get to cross off the list, right? Like if, if the mission is to like my, at least for my, my flipping business, I want to, I want to make the most affordable housing at the highest quality as that, as I can, right? Find that middle balance. I can succeed at that every day, but I'll never, I'll never actually complete it. It's not a goal that can be completed, but it's a goal that can keep yeah. me going day in and day out. And so that, like I said, I think really, really propels that sustainability. Um, all interesting. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to keep you for too long, but I do want to talk about your podcast a little bit. Um, so when did you start that? Yeah. Um, probably like a couple months ago or something like that, a few weeks um, nothing too crazy. I mean, I was just, I've always, it's always something I wanted to do. Um, but the reality was like, Hey, I don't want to do this unless it's like very minimal time commitment. You know, like I wanted to limit my time to like, just talking with people. Right. Ideally. Um, if I can do outsource editing, if I can outsource every posting and all that other crap, that would be great for me. Um, so that's kind of the approach I want. And, you know, it's not like it's the most professional thing in the world. It's not like the most beautiful thing in the world. For me, the most important thing and like the quote I, I live my life by, I would say, is vision without execution is hallucination. And that's in your bio. I reckon not. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, if I don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get a tattoo, it would probably do that. Okay. Um, because I, like I used to, I like what you were saying before. I used to overanalyze everything. I used to, uh, analysis paralysis. Right. And that was, that was me. And I recognized, Hey, I have an idea. It might be a good idea. It might be a bad idea. You need to just execute on it. And, see what you can do with it. Ultimately, everything comes down to execution. You know, Steve Jobs, like I have a poster of Steve Jobs in my office, right? Steve Jobs says it himself is like, you know, I'm not any, any more special than anyone else. Um, and that's one of the things that I love, right? When you're learning about someone and you held them in such a high regard and then they have the humbleness to say, hey, you all the way down there, you nobody, um, you know, I'm not much different than you. I'm not anything special. Don't think I'm special. And that's when I was like, holy shit, it's really just like about doing it and not like being afraid of what people are going to say or afraid of whatever it might be. The fear is really what's holding you back. And then it was like, yeah, I just need to start this fucking podcast thing. So right. I'm going to start it see what happens. And I'm just going to stay consistent with it for years before, you know, I even think about stopping it. 
Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, Alex Ramosi said, at least said he had a podcast going for like five years. He said he was just always chipping yeah. away at a podcast. You didn't know about it until a year ago. Right. And, and yeah. it's interesting because it's the same thing here. It's like, this is, this will build the foundation. I'll always have this and I don't expect viewership. That's not what I look for. What I look for is quality conversations that, that really bring the value that I'm shooting for to the audience. And if that audience is 10 people, great. If it's 10,000 people, great. I, I, you know, I, I don't even look at the, the analytics. Um, but you know, I think that the podcast helps for two reasons. And I started it also so that I could pull clips out of it, which I've been extremely lazy on, but to try and yeah. add that content and, and um, instead of sitting here and making 30 scripts and sitting in front of the camera and doing a scripted content, right? Like I could in theory get like 10 days worth of content out of this one podcast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the main reasons too. Like uh, I think Gary V was talking about it. I was in the gym one morning and like, again, this is something that I've known, right? Take these long form conversations and then clip them down to, you know, disperse to Instagram, uh, YouTube, whatever, to TikTok. Um, and I really just didn't really want to do it. I like wasn't, I just felt like I wasn't there yet, right? Like I still had my time in all these other places and with the VA and with an intern, I was able to kind of get that off the ground. And, you know, it's been kind of good so far because I do enjoy these conversations. Um, and also it's great, like you said, that you can just pull clips from it. And now your content is on this one base. Like I don't, like you said, I don't have to try and record on the videos. I can just throw the, the podcast clips out there and call right. it a day. You know, right? Because I don't, I don't love, I don't love, you know, posting like that's not like a, I don't need a hobby in mine. Yeah, I do yeah. it because it's a fucking necessity. You know? Exactly, exactly, and that's that's the revelation I came to. And when I when I do things, I'm a perfectionist. So unfortunately, I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on it, but I spend twenty to thirty hours a week just filming and editing and putting things together. Let alone the seventy or eighty or ninety I do the other work. And so it's like, you know, I'd, I'd certainly don't let up on anything else, but I add this in as like a, the extra fuck you right before you feel like going to bed. And then it's like, no, you got two more hours of editing. It's like, okay, this is getting real old. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, I, I'm big on quality. And, and I think you and I are in different positions when it comes to the podcast, because my fear of starting it was that I didn't want to start a podcast and spew bullshit that I'm not experienced in yet. I mean, the reality is I'm 20 years yeah. old. I, I haven't wholesaled or flipped 10,000 10, homes. I, have, I haven't even done 50. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a certain yeah. point where you hit, you hit a certain level of experience. So my two, my two I, I guess, s solutions to that was I'm going to interview people and have them bring the, bring the value. And I'm going to try my best to bring the very best quality looking and sounding content that I'm capable of doing. Right. I mean, I don't have $10,000 cameras, but <clears throat> I certainly try my best to make that quality. Whereas you, you have more of the experience, right? Like you bring the value in a different way. So you don't necessarily have to sit there and edit and play with your lighting and play with your audio because the content is important. And I always say this, it's like, if you listen to me talk about the same stock Buffett does and Buffett's using an iPhone 4, 
you're going to listen to Buffett's advice over mine and mine might look awesome. That, that's debatable though. I, part of that might be a scarcity mindset. Like how many, how many 20 year olds? I, I, I don't know any, I don't know any at all. 20 year olds that are, are flipping houses. Um, so I would, I would kind of push back on that a little bit and be like, Hey man, you're 20 years old. How many other 20 year old friends do you have that are flipping houses? I don't have many in the flipping game, but a lot of the people <laughs> I surround myself with are real estate and it just entrepreneurs in general who are, are the, the younger anywhere from, you know, the kid I had on yesterday, he's, he's my age, a couple months older than me up until like 26, 27, 28. Um, no, and I appreciate that. And, you know, there, there is absolutely like that sort of, um, leeway of credibility I should give to myself. But, you know, I, I think that in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't have 12 episodes worth of experience to give at my, at my spot. You know what I mean? And so maybe I can make an episode for my experience, maybe two. Um, but you know, I, like I said, it's, it's really shooting for that, that younger entrepreneur because I was that younger entrepreneur and not so long ago, I was that kid who was trying to figure out how to get into the business. And what I was always missing was that person to tell me like, here's step one, two, and three. I saw step five, six, seven, yeah. eight, nine, but I didn't know one, two, and three. And that was huge. And and I think that there's no, there's no definitive answer to that, right? There's, there's experiences that people have and there's different personality types and you're completely different from everyone else I've had on the podcast. The kid yesterday was completely different from you and everybody else. And so everyone has their own barrier, um, their, their own breakthrough through the barrier of entry. And I think it's great to kind of, you know, see people who might connect with you more and understand what you're saying. And then what worked for you might work for them because they have a similar personality type. So, you know, it's things like that, that I'm just big on providing, but, um, no, I, I'm I'm happy for you, man. I, I like I said, I've seen some of your content that you've been putting out recently, and I love it. I love the content of it, and I love hearing what you have to say in it. And I absolutely think that you should keep it up. And I do think, though, what, one thing I will tell you is that I think it's worth investing in. I think that, like, like no, I'm not even saying quality, but in terms of just investing some more time into filming more often, like quality, like no problem at all, but like. I do yeah. think that building that foundation of social media is huge right now, not for this, not for today, but for today in a year, for today in five years. Yeah, I mean, the content is freaking insane, like what you can do with it um, in terms of like just just credibility, meeting people. Um, getting in rooms with people you probably have no business being in a room with, um, things like that. I think it's really special. Um, that's why I've been a little bit more intentional about it. And, you know, now at this point, I'm like starting to track like how many posts I make, uh, on a weekly basis. Right. I'm like, how much am I posting on my Instagram story? How much am I posting on YouTube? I'm like all this other crap. It's, you know, it's, it's, I don't love it. Ideally, I'd like to have someone who really runs it for me. Um, and just like, I'm completely hands off right now. I'm not there, but that's the goal, right? Where you're like Hermosi, who just has, you know, a few people on his staff that just run his social media and everything for him. Like right. that's, 
that's freaking awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, that's the dream. That's the dream is to have that. And I will say yeah. too, you can, um, you can actually, I just learned this too. You can make your posts on Canva or CapCut, I believe, but I know for Can- Canva for sure. And you can schedule them like there's a calendar and you can schedule them and what you want to put and it'll automatically post it for you. So that's, that's probably a cool trick to automate it. Yeah. I, there's, there's tons of stuff. Like someone on my team was just mentioning like AI. So we're, we've been looking at some apps yeah. for like AI for clipping and just so if someone, someone doesn't have to watch the whole hour podcast to like pull specific. Oh, I saved out. that today. Yeah. It's like, it, it's something yeah. with a D something, something D clip or something, but yeah, I, I owe it's, yeah. um, I think I might do that too. Just cause yeah, sitting there for the two yeah. hours and trying to find out and timestamp everything. It's like, Okay, I got better shit to be doing right now. Exactly, and it's it's so time consuming, and you know when that person could be do up, doing other more important things. If you can leverage the technology there, you might as well. You might as well at least explore it. So, right, we've been looking at a couple different apps there, and we'll see what happens. That's awesome, man. Um, so there's something I do every. It's a tradition on this podcast, and this is kind of how we we end off. I have the last guest leave a question for the next guest. So the question that the last guest asked for you is a bit of a different question than I've actually gotten before. It's, do you believe this statement? You either have it or you don't. And why? You either have it or you don't. No, I I, I don't believe that. Um, I think that, you know, most things that hold people back really comes down to their mindset, right? And if something happened to someone to force someone to change their, force them to change their mindset, um, you know, it unlocks like a new type of person. And so anyone who's really struggled with hardship, and then completely reinvented themselves, they don't believe that quote to be true. Um, so that's kind of my, because I've, I've watched myself, I've watched other people completely reinvent themselves and do what's required, however big the task is. Um, so I definitely don't believe that. I think that if someone does believe that, they have a scarcity mindset and not an abundant I agree. And I like that you added that to the abundance mindset. I've gotten that actually on a few people's answers as uh, one kid's missioner. One of the things that he was shooting for is to provide from a place of abundance. And that was in an abundance was like a very general term. It wasn't fiscally. Uh, it wasn't exclusively yeah. fiscal. It wasn't exclusively emotional and physical or intimacy. It was all of it combined. And I like, I like to, re- to capture it all into abundance. Um, so what, what about you? What uh, question would you ask the next guest? And so what I will say is I don't tell you the next guest and what industry they're in. So I ask that the questions formulated in a way where it's not industry specific and it can be answered in a way that brings some kind of value. And it can be, it can be any kind of lifestyle question, a entrepreneurship question any type of question just not industry specific yeah um 
What's huh? You can take your time too. No rush on it. Yeah. Um. Well, one thing I I always like to ask people is like, what is there a quote or like a mantra or something that you constantly remind yourself? Um. And and you know why, right? Like. So for me, that vision without execution is hallucination. And I will say that to myself on a daily basis because I just, I need to understand that like, you know, fear lies to you that you really, it just comes down to doing the damn thing. So that's, that's kind of what I would ask, I guess. Not super deep, but I'm sure you can pull something from that. No, absolutely. That's the beautiful part is I've gotten a lot of questions that I originally thought were bland and the answers from the next guest. I was like, wow, you really turned that into something I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. So like, like, no, I'm, and I like that one a lot. I think there's, um, and I, I like yours a lot too. I think that yours is great. I think it's, it really encapsulates like what this business is all about. It's, you know, you can sit there and dream all you want. It's it's awesome to dream in real estate. I love it. I love dreaming about a ten thousand unit portfolio. But yeah, if I'm sitting in my my bed with my ass on that mattress, I'm not building a, a ten thousand door portfolio. Exactly. <laughs> so, I love it, man. Hey, um, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate all the uh, all the content that you brought today, all the advice that you had, um, and your experience, man. I think that you know, 25 is still incredibly young in this business from what I've learned. And to see somebody not only having bought multiple, multiple deals uh, as rentals, but making that switch, making that shift early on, like recognizing that that is not necessarily sustainable at that point and completely readjusting. And as quickly as you did, clearly building out, no matter the size, a team, you know, with that being said, a team in place where you can you can streamline as much as you can, automate as much as you can, and delegate so that because you recognize your place. And I think that that is out of everything we talked about today. I think at least that's number one for me. What I've taken from this. Um, so I appreciate everything, man. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to come on. It was a good experience. I mean, I may need to have you online at some point. Absolutely, man. I'm all for it. And if um if you want to plug anything now, any socials, any information that you want the audience to know, go right ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Instagram's probably the best way. I'm probably the most active on there. At Joe.leun is uh, my username. Definitely just reach out. I'm pretty good with DMs. Um, so if you don't, try and sell me something in my DMs or trying to get me to buy Forex uh, courses or anything like that. I'll probably, re- I'll probably I'll come respond. on a podcast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you're trying to get me to buy like a crypto course, I might not answer it, but yeah, reach yeah. out. I'm more than happy to hop on a call with people, talk through things, talk shop. Um, and yeah, if I could be a resource for you, I'm more than happy to be. Uh, also, my podcast is Execute with Joe Lewin. It's basically on all platforms. And I think we're going to have to have Tyler on soon. I love to hear it, Joe. Hey, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Take care, Tyler. You too. Bye.